You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Sorry about that. Welcome to this Monday edition of Benzinga's pre-market prep. Spencer Israel here by himself because Dennis and Joel, here they are. Here's Dennis and Joel is TBD. They're here. They're, they're, it's a Monday morning. Everyone's still waking up, but the show must Wake be up. on time is my new decree. So good morning, everyone. Happy Monday. Hope you all had a great weekend. Happy Father's Day belated to you, Dennis, and, and Joel, if you ever bother us to show up today. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Crypto is the story of the day. A crackdown in China is uh, hitting that entire sector here this morning. There he is. Happy Father's Day to you, Joel, as well. We'll talk about crypto. We'll talk about the banks. We'll talk, we, we did have an M&A deal uh, today. We can hit on that. We uh, want to talk about uh, Lordstown Motors, uh, there's some very nice reporting by the Wall Street Journal about some insider sales in Ride back in February. So we'll get to that as well. Don't forget, today is today and tomorrow, actually, your Amazon Prime Day. Uh, so get your orders out there uh, to buy stuff on Amazon. And maybe your orders out there to buy or sell Amazon stuff. I don't know. Uh, Tim Quast is our first guest today. He will join the show at 8.35. He's the CEO of Market Structure Edge. And at 9, we'll do our weekly IPO preview with Matt Hammond from IPO 
Warriors. Before Joel brings up his charts and shows us how we're doing this morning, I want to remind you all to hit that like button, please. Takes two seconds of your time, and we appreciate that. If you're not already subscribed to Benzinga on YouTube, please do so, and we appreciate that as well. All right, Joel, what's the word on the market this morning? Are we up? Are we down? Are we flat? Are we what? What are you wearing? What is that? (laughs) Did you get one of these, Dennis? No, I guess I'm not the best dad ever. No, you didn't. And who is this? Let's see who's going to be good. Who is this? Nothing's going to ever bring you down. Great song, though, Joel. Great song. That's a good one. That's good. Tina Turner. Is that who sings that? I think so. Uh, You know what movie that's from, though? That was the movie that made that song? Wow. What? Spencer, you know. Hold on a second. Tina Turner does not sing that song. I don't sure think, I think like he just it. made that up. Um, but I know what movie. I, I you that, know what movie that was from? The is, that Joe, is that Joe Esposito? Is that it could it could be Joe yeah, Esposito? Joel, Joel just makes stuff up as he goes along. But uh, what movie? Yeah. What movie made that? We were actually just talking about this last night because I, I I've, n- I've never actually seen uh, Karate Kids with like, three and four, and I think they made no, that was the first one. That the was the first Karate movie. Kid. Yeah. That right. was the song. I was like, right. yeah, Daniel Sunko. <laughs> You're the best around. Right at the end. Yeah, awesome. That's Great it. movie. Great movie. Now I'm in a better mood. All right. So yeah, go, yeah. Go I don't need to fire you up a little bit, Triple D. Uh, you know it. what? You know, I had this problem, too. When I used to go into the office, I'd go into the office on Monday, and, like, all these kids, you know, they're all hungover from the weekend. And they're like, <laughs> like me, I was. And they're like, like, you know, they're on the keyboard. <laughs> I come in. I'm all fired up and everything. And they're like, oh, you know, just type in. I have to kick Spencer a few times and everything to get him going. But, uh <laughs> No, no, great Father's Day, Dennis. How, did you have a good Father's Day? Did they treat good. you well? Yeah. yeah. Took took my dad on a road trip with my mom, and the kids went, did some swimming, some fishing. It was good. Yeah, okay. Guess I got more. What would you uh, do? Uh, swimming. I actually uh, swam 2,000 meters, and then I biked uh, 15 miles with Lisa. Oh, and then uh, wow. we did a dinner, and uh, I got, of course, I got Michigan apparel. Not this. This is old, but I got. Uh, uh, I thought I we were done with sports. Weren't me and you? Didn't we give up sports like a while ago when all of our teams just suck every year? Didn't we give up sports? I thought we got gave up sports. We, we, we said that was a bad investment, a bad long term investment. Yeah, is that what we said? It is. It really is a bad investment because the odds. We went to the odds, and there's so many teams, and it's like you're the odds of your team winning in any given year is you know if you got 30 teams in the league, it's like three percent. And then, you know, in the baseball, you got the Yankees that win too often. So that knocks you down even farther. Don't even, don't even go there with me, Dennis. The Yankees, <laughs> the Yankees are in the midst of the longest World Series drought, the third longest drought in history, okay? so How long is this? They, they haven't even made the World Series in 12 years. Whoa! Oh, the pre- 12 years of pain for Yankee fans. Yeah. 12 years yeah. of pain. Yeah. yeah this Meanwhile, my Tigers... Well, uh, it's not going okay. SP's up 15 and a quarter. Oh, got shellacked on Friday. Got bullard. I hope no one uh uh it's takes new... my uh my comment yeah. on that. Bullard. I like bullard. that. Got bullard. Yeah, bullard. <laughs> bullied, bullied around. Yeah, uh the whole bullied to the downside. 
Uh, but we're, we were like 50, 40 points lower, 41, 26, 75, caught a bounce. Uh, Friday's interday highs up here too. We got some good levels to look at on the upside. The downside's going to be tricky. Did you miss the dip? Did you have to buy today because you missed the dip on Friday? Uh, crude up a few pennies, not much, 71.31. Uh, gold up $11. It's trying. Uh, silver, that's up six cents, 26.03. Bitcoin got Chinaed. Uh, that's down 3,000 at 32,300. Is that not politically correct? Can I not say that? Uh, I, I think it, it's fine. I also okay. think Bitcoin got China too. Uh, and Ethereum down 216 bucks. Oh, Ooh. Yeah, down Ooh. goes Ethereum. But uh, yeah, they're down. 5% of my portfolio is down like 0.45% now. Not that great. There's yeah, a 0.05% of my portfolio today on Ethereum. Not happy about it. But the market's up. So Bitcoin down, market up. That's good, you know. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if you want to talk to cryptocurrency. It really faked everyone out. We're going back over 40K. And I told y'all, that was resistance. Still a trading range. And yeah. then one, two, three, four days in a row. The big thing is if you take out this low at 30 30K. Yep. 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 20 take out 30K, where are we going, Joel? Give us scenario 20, analysis. 20. 20, immediately to 20. That's where I originally bought was 18. I'm going to give this all back. Should, should have sold more. Oh, you know oh, what I did wrong? I should have sold out everything Saturday Night Live when I called it. Yeah. Every single right piece of crypto that ever existed. Um, it was it was actually only Dogecoin topped on the Saturday Night Live event. It was actually about a week later that all the other cryptos started to roll over. But is this not just like, I mean, there's so many, and, and I was thinking about this over the weekend, you know, here, here, I was thinking about stocks and thinking about the markets over the weekend, which I shouldn't be. But I mean, this has been like the last couple of years where money's just created from nothingness, you know, where we just come in, you know, we create new cryptocurrencies and they just create money from nothing. Does eventually some of this just go back to nothing? You know, and I'm not saying Bitcoin's going to nothing, but there's, you know, a million other cryptocurrencies out there. And a lot of these, you know, this wealth created, you know, we watched the one go from $60 to a penny in a day. But I mean, there's so how many cryptocurrencies are out there, Mr. Israel? So many. Uh, <laughs> a thousand? Is a thousand or a thousand more? Um, yeah, let's see. Let me just do a cursor research. Um, there's probably, yeah, I, I would say well into the hundreds, if not more. I mean, all right, hundreds and hundreds, many. possibly plus, a thousand cryptocurrencies. Plus, there's all the, the, Maybe tens of thousands of DeFi tokens, or hundreds of thousands of DeFi. Maybe tokens. all that is even qualified cryptocurrencies. Oh, here we go. There's about, in terms of if you're counting just cryptocurrencies, there's about five thousand. I'm gonna say that some of these, <clears throat> this, some of these are gonna end up at zero. Some of these are not, maybe, but a lot of these are. I mean, it's just created from really nothing. Dennis, I, I mean, have, I guess you could say companies are created from nothing. Dennis, too, I, like. I have news from you, for you. Most of them are already at zero because I don't know about you, but there's no real difference between two cents and zero to me. And a lot of these are like fractions of a penny or fractions of you know, like 1.000005 cents, right? So they're already at zero. I'm just going to say this is all speculation. It's all speculative. Maybe, you know, and I have a little bit of Bitcoin. I have a little bit of Ethereum. I've been try Everybody's been trying to sell me on the Cardano, and everybody's been trying to sell me on a lot of other cryptocurrencies as well. Oh, it's going to be zero. 
And it's not in out of the round possibly some of the big ones could end up being zero. I don't think that's the case. I think Bitcoin's going to continue to have some value, but holy, it's tough to just like, you can't just put on your fundamental hat. Like when people come up and say they got a target of 500,000, they got a target of zero, or they got a target. I mean, how do you really value this stuff? I mean, at least Ethereum, I guess you can look at the network and say there's value there. It's really tough. I mean, as an analyst, like you look at this and, I don't know how you come up with price. And it's the same thing, not only, you know, with the meme stock. So you could say cryptocurrency has really created this meme stock bubble as well. I mean, it's been created because people are pumping their stocks, you know, and obviously, you know, there's Reddit and a lot of different social media platforms that are basically being used to pump stocks. But I mean, if if you can create just value from nothing in all these cryptocurrencies, then why can't AMC, a stock, which is act, an actual company, lose money mind you but maybe they won't always be worth whatever it's so hard to value stuff when people are just willing to pay any amount of money for anything Uh, it's it's a tough investing environment to figure out i take you know bitcoin it was the only really the only game in town when it made the initial run to 20k and then everything but i I just think there's too much competition going on and i also think uh, and i talked with rob about this and stuff I really think some ARBs are starting to get into this stuff. And once the ARBs oh, start the ARBs to get into there. Yeah. Once the ARBs get in there, the in in the inefficiencies go, then it it's a it's a different kind of market. And look at look away Bitcoin. I mean, between 30 and 40k, Ethereum, I don't know how easy it is to hedge. I know what if you have the futures contracts on again? Oh, Ethereum's making a new low for the move, Dennis. Where is that? Did you see that these are the futures and I, I these are my futures charts. So I don't know what they None reflect. of these cryptocurrencies look good. The, none of the charts look good, but we know they've bounced back a lot of times. I mean, the Bitcoin, it's banged, it's 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 coming down that 30,000 floor again there now. You think eventually, you know, we always say we used to always say no such thing as a triple bottom. So that looks like it's trying to, you know, potentially take out that low so we'll see what happens but it's tough if i was along a lot of cryptocurrency i'd be really scared right now and you know and the other thing lee says i don't know anything about cryptos you know what i know is that this had a break from sixty-five thousand to thirty thousand five hundred, and it could even sniff a 50 percent rebound if this thing was strong if, if this is like the true we're going to 100k this thing would have been it would have been a 47 48 in a heartbeat it would have held Boom, back up to 65. I mean, what do I need to know? I need to know what's going down. I need to know I don't own it. And I know maybe I'll look at it at 20K. The other thing to it, like the currency, the transactional currency, how can you transact? Like, what if I did a deal with you on Friday in Bitcoin, Dennis? Uh, did you, am I going to pay you on Friday's price? And I it's don't down know. 6%? I, I don't think it's a means. Uh, I think there's better cryptocurrencies. I don't think it's a means of transaction. I don't think it ever was. I don't think we're going to transact. We hear that. Bitcoin. We I know that. that's you know another bull argument. But then they're saying, oh, you know, it's just a store of value. A store of value isn't working that well either. So it's tough. You know, people are in the chat saying we don't know what we're talking about. Gary, I, 100%, I don't know what I'm talking about, Bitcoin. All I do is look at the chart. You know, and you're the same thing. We can't talk fundamentally about Bitcoin. There's really nothing to talk about. You can hodl it. You cannot. I mean, is there a network here? But really, at the end of the day, is it's the technicals that drive this. Technicals and social media influencers are the drivers here. That's all you need to know. So I'm not going to sit here and do research and understand crypto better because I think I'm wasting my time. So tech technicals 
and social media influencers. If Musk says something, I know it's going to move. I know all those cryptocurrency stocks are going to move. If you know it's technicals, if stairs take out the thirty thousand level, it's going to be trouble. <laughs> so I mean, you can trade anything technically, and that's with crypto. That's kind of all you got. All right, let's talk. Let's talk about Friday. What a day! Yeah, what a hammered. day! What a day! What a day! Market a got day. hammered. Yep, it was weak, and then Bullard. <laughs> Bullard come on there, and uh, Spencer tried to stop him. And once the ball got rolling, that pre-market action determined it. I think it's a you know big day for the market. You had the low for the week. <laughs> and Dennis, did you participate in any of that whooping uh, from about four fifteen to five? I tried to provide a lot of liquidity in there, <laughs> but it's uh. It, it, there were some gaps. There was some movement in some of the stocks for sure. You saw a lot of stocks really getting hammered in the SPY, accelerating the close. Not surprisingly, there was some selling balances that were driving it. There was some buying balances too. You actually saw some stocks go both ways. Um, but SPY, if you look at the last, what, 10 minutes, we went from 416 down to 414. And then we lost another buck after hours. We're down to 413. So about a 30 handle point drop really in the last 20 20 handles the last 10 minutes and then another 10 handles after hours so they hammered the stocks at the close bouncing back though bouncing they back. buy the dip man yep, overnight I, like we got hit pretty hard here overnight too how far are we off the lows now <clears throat> 40 points we're 40 points off the lows. Yep. These four charts still confuse me. And I know we went to the four chart system, okay, but I'm still what, not what do you want? it. What do you I don't want? even know what chart shows me the overnight. You know, here I am doing the okay, show. Okay, overnight. Okay. I'm going to go through this. Oh, this because that's spy. Yeah, so you don't see it because spy. Yeah, because it, yeah, it doesn't have yeah. the real market. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have the real market. Not the market until <laughs> 4 o'clock when, when it opens. Well, 8 o'clock. Right, eight o'clock to four o'clock. The four, four p. Yeah, eight o'clock to four. I'm saying. 4 write this down. Red and green. Okay, are the are the real sessions? Red and green. So you yeah. know you talked about the big flush. Okay, that's red. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay, that and then the green. Boom. There you go. Are the these different colors are the after hours? So you see, this is the end of the regular session. And then they whooped it until you stopped trading, right? At yeah. uh, right here, right. Yeah, so that that's ended. When I stopped it, trading, right? And then you started trading again at four. <laughs> all right, so there it is. And when I go to my futures, you see only... all the action in between. Exactly, but then I I gotta find the futures. Let's see what they've done overnight here, because we were significantly lower here overnight. I checked the futures quotes multiple times last night. Here's the so. low. And that would coincide with 41.30. So how far were we below where we were at 8 o'clock? 40 handles. Yeah. Yeah. So we've come back and we're 40 handles off the lows here now. So we were down to what, 25 last night at the worst? Uh, if you Yeah, about 27. If you go from the true mark, you know, yeah. from the 53.50 mark, you were down about 26 handles. If you go from the 5 o'clock beat down, it was only 10 handles. The one right. thing that has continued to work is just buy the dip because <laughs> it just doesn't seem to go away. Eventually, you're going to see, and obviously in crypto, buy the dip is not working. And in some of these other stocks, buy the dip is not working. But it continues to work in the overall market because we know rotation continues to keep the spy up. I'm nervous. I think we're going to have Tim on here in 15 minutes. I think he's still nervous here as well. He was nervous last week. I think he's still nervous here. I've 
raised cash. We know that. I raised it back up. I put a lot in, then I raised it back up. I've still been sitting on a lot of cash. I'm going to continue to sit on some cash here. I think, honestly, today's rally is a selling opportunity. This is a 40-point handle rally overnight from the lows. I think if you're really heavy or if you're on margin, I think you lighten up into this because it's just hard. It depends, though, on your allocations. I mean, maybe we just continue and you just want to, you know, if you're long-term, you just want to stay fully invested. But, you know, my job is market timing. So I'm talking to the market timers out there, the people who are moving money in and out. I think you're lightening into this rally. Okay. Yeah, we've already exceeded the average daily range. So uh, by a good margin, because the ranges have been contracting. We expanded yesterday, the volatility picked up. So a normal day, 63.50 would have been the top of the range. So if you're trading based on that, you know, you got fluff up to 77.50. That was almost, I mean, that was six points uh, near the intraday high yesterday. So a lot to look at. If you want to be super optimistic and think uh, we had that that move from 42.58 and a quarter down to 41.26.75. If you're looking for a 50% retracement, uh, 131 divided by two. Holy math. 70, ah, 42.84. I mean, there's just so many numbers coming in at 41.80, 41.90. Let's see. We'll see your challenge today. It always, it you know, it, it might not just go right back down today, Dennis. You know, it might just grind you on Tuesday, you know, grind today, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you got the bank stress test on Thursday. The I big mean, thing we have is the Russell rebalance at the end of the week, and we know there's ooh. always volatility into that event. So how does that shake out is really going to be the question. I think after that, I think once you get in July, we're going to get into summer trade. Like, I don't think, I don't see this, you know, Im- imminent crash coming here. Because I think we're going into summer months, and I think eventually we'll slow down. But this week's going to have some fireworks. We're going to get some volatility. The Russell rebounds on Friday is going to be insane, I think, especially with the action that some of the small cap stocks have had. So it could be one of the better Russell rebalances that we've seen in a long time. Not better, not meaning necessarily up, just saying more action. So better for trader is action, not necessarily an up market. You and Spencer said that last week. And um, and then uh, Barron's was like, he took the other side of your trade and they're like, who volatility come, could this summer be different volatility? But we got through the quad, which it's always a volatile event. And then you're right. We got the Russell rebalance. Yeah, and then I think it's going to be gonna crickets be for July yeah, and August. Fourth of July. You got a great week. You got a fourth of July on the fourth. So you got a Monday off. And then the, that next Friday, I'm going up north for a week, so I won't have to deal with any of you guys. So yeah, I, <laughs> I hope the market. I hope the market does slow down in July. That that'll be good. But uh, let's talk. What stock? What let's, do let's we bring some stocks talk? up. What's up? You said M and A action. What was the merger? Uh, Raven. There's one Raven R A V N. Uh, Raven Industries. They make what? Ag- Kathy stock. They make no, 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 no. no. They make agricultural Are you sure? equ- equipment. I like that was a Kathy stock. And no one knew this. Wow. CNHI is is buying them for fifty eight dollars a share in cash. So a, big, a couple big cash mergers with big premiums. CAE now Raven R A V N. Yeah. I've traded this before. I thought Kathy was in this, but okay, I'm wrong. Uh, um, she's in a lot of stocks, but. Actually, wow. speaking of of Kathy, this is off topic, but they had ten transactions on Friday. I don't remember the last time that it was that low number of just number of transactions. But anyway, back to Raven. She wasn't in there. I don't really like much to yep. say about Raven's taking over. It's yeah. <laughs> so 
I don't know. I, I don't have much to say about well, Raven. Smith, you want to jump into Raven talk? CNHI is the one doing the doing the. Box. Not hitting it that much. Okay, it's well, so a small deal. How big is that Raven company? Uh, I don't know. Let's find out. Probably when you get these market caps, and you're looking, you know, when they pay a big premium and it's a big chunk of their market cap, then it can get hit. All right, it's, it's a couple bill. How much? Okay, so Raven's couple bill. What's CNHI worth? Uh, more twenty-one bill. So yeah, yeah. sorry, ten percent. You know, it's ten percent of market cap. They're not hitting at all, Joel. We it, it actually is a good point you're making. They haven't been hitting the acquirers lately. Um, who, well, with the the one we got last week was a private company, but I, I we have seen that lately. We before you know a year ago we were seeing them really hammer the acquirers, like knocking the premium rate out of there. But they haven't been doing that. This is a very forgiving market. It's been a very forgiving market for a long time. So. Uh, not not much to say about any of these stocks. So let's move uh, on. Can we just talk about like the the crypto stocks for a second? Uh, we should start with Nvidia here. Uh, Nvidia is down, um, obviously because it has Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin. Crypto, crypto exposure. And then the South China Morning Post, um, the largest English language paper in China, um, had a report just about how much the price of Nvidia graphics cards has fallen in the last couple of weeks or months um, as the government has begun cracking down on, on mining. And, and so the, there's that going forward as well. There was this gen- overall general negative sentiment this morning, plus a report that the price of graphics cards is just cratering in China. I mean, NVIDIA has had a hell of a run. It made, it, it made yeah. a new all-time high on Friday. So it did close very weak, which is never a good thing. But I mean, we got the split coming up next month. There's some catalysts here. Does it get a significant pullback? I think if you get that back down, it's been just an overextended move. So you could pull back to 650, and the bulls would still be in charge here. So I think you wait for a pullback, get down the 650 to 700 area, probably enter a buy zone again. But it's overextended, it needs to cool off, and it does move with crypto. You also have uh, MSTR, MicroStrategy. Uh, Michael Saylor came out and said that they're buying a lot more. They bought a lot more Bitcoin. They just bought 13,000 more Bitcoins at an average price of 37.6 thousand. Yeah, that's what they do is they that's raise cash, they buy Bitcoin. Yep, basically it's what they do. So yeah. they, uh, how many offerings have we done in the last month or two? Like uh, two or three? They do another one? No, 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 no. But the point is, they raise money just to buy Bitcoin. That's the- yeah. There's a Bitcoin play. So yeah. Bitcoin goes down. They're going to go down. I are all these things. Mara, Riot, BTBT yeah. is a little under the radar. One when Bitcoin really gets ugly, they hit Square and Nvidia on a normal day. Bitcoin's down one or two percent. They Square and, and Nvidia ignore it. Day crypto gets crap gets trashed like it is over here over the weekend. Square and Nvidia get hit as well. Even Tesla sometimes. So although they're not seeing Tesla as much as a Bitcoin play as they were a while ago. Even though it was never really a Bitcoin play, it was like one percent, but people were associating it with it. So, wait, uh, refresh my memory. Tesla didn't sell their Bitcoin, right? No, but no. people are like now disassociate because he's talked down Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah, people are now disassociating it. Is that a word? Is that a word? Disassociating. Yeah, that is a word. Uh, anyway, so they're they're he they're disassociating it now. We we clearly saw a relationship for a while when when crypto would get hit, Tesla would get as well. Yeah. And you're kind of seeing that breakdown now to a certain extent, that relationship. Tesla's trading down a little bit, but we know Square, we know Dorsey's a, a huge proponent of Bitcoin. So Square is an obvious one that they hit. But you know, the, the first ones they hit always when Bitcoin starts going down is Mara and Riot. 
you know, those are the first two I go to as well. And MSTR, those are boom, 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 those three. And then they start getting, and BTBT is another one. But then they start getting, like, Coin, obviously, is an obvious one, too. Coin never moves down as much as Mar and Riot. They're like, Mar and Riot are like, be down, they're down 8%, Coin's down 3%. Never knew moves quite as much, but. I don't know. Like we were talking Bitcoin already here, so it's it's tough to you know get in. You're just looking at Bitcoin. It's like you know the banks too. And I talk about the TLT relationships. You just got to understand the relationships. And some people just come in they say, "Oh, spies up. The banks will be up." And it's not the case at all anymore. All the banks care about. I'm taking this away from crypto because I don't want to talk crypto anymore. All the banks want to care about is TLT. That's all they care about. TLT goes up, banks go down. TLT goes down, banks go up. It's not coincidental, folks. Banks were having a tough morning. TLT just started rolling over, and lo and behold, the banks are starting to show some life. That's how this market works. That's relationships. About, relationships. All about uh, relationships. A lot so, of money so do, made in relationships. Let's clarify what you're saying. You're saying the banks follow team TLT. TLT does not follow the banks. One is the well, leader. Yeah, I say TLT is the leader. Okay. TLT leads. TLT started rolling over about a half an hour ago, and the bank started catching a bit. So I've traded this relationship for the better part of a decade, probably even longer than that, and TLT leads. So when you see the TLT turn, like, look look at the charts. There's proof is in the pudding, right? Look at TLT the last two days. Explosion. Everybody's like, what's happening to the banks? The banks are getting killed. Yeah, that's it's why. not rocket science. That's the banks got saying. killed the last two days because TLT rallied like crazy. I'm everybody. I was saying that. There you go. So yeah. you learn something. I say this relationship all the time. If you can take anything from our show, learn one thing, that the banks are inversely correlated to TLT. We talk about it every Don't once in a while, but for the newer listeners that are just coming in here, we teach you that. That's a relationship that just is holds almost every single day sometimes you see the odd day where it doesn't hold but it seems like 90 percent of the time i come in i see the tlt down a buck i was like oh banks are gonna be having a good morning oh what's happening this morning banks are having a good morning it's not rocket science it's relationships the uh and this is like so contrary i i don't want to get into like the whole the jerome Powell bullard thing but bullard what what bullard was saying on Friday is actually bad for the TLT and good for banks that rates are going up, you know, sooner than that. And you know what? Uh, uh, Pump and Powell is testifying this week too, or he's speaking somewhere. So that should be another thing in the market. But like that is the saying, just don't try and trade what the Fed speak, the Bullard speak, the Powell speak. I mean, just look at the what's TLT. In front of, yeah, look at yeah. TLT. It broke out of the monthly too. There and I go. was talking about that last week, and that you know, I was like, "Oh, oh no one wanted to talk about it." But you had just three, you know, you broke out of a, a three month high area. Okay, a breakout's a breakout. What did yep. banks do? Yep. yep. You know, all time high. So let's, let's take this a step further, Dennis. Uh, explain then how you would trade that relationship. Um, I just look at TLT says a sudden move. You'll see it like sometimes off a number at like eight thirty. You know, you have a sudden move. It's going slow. It's hard to take advantage of. But all of a sudden, you get a sudden move. You'll see that go in the opposite direction. But even just being careful, it's like you'll see the leadership there where, okay, well, Joel's like, right, TLT started breaking out over 140. Well, that was a hint for you swing traders out there eight days ago to start selling the banks. That was your your leader. You can see TLT going up, 
banks are going to be going down. And what happened? The bank's been going straight down. Like people look at Citigroup. Holy, and I've been looking at it too. It goes down every single day. Now they've hammered <laughs> Citigroup a little bit harder than it's the other news. ones. It's but it's news. not coincidental that you look at that TLT. You can put those two things on a chart. They are a nice inverse relationship there to, to exploit and to trade. Those are awesome vehicles to trade. Just as day traders, you know, as an efficiency trader, which I am, that's the one of the biggest, you know, inefficiencies that exists in the short term. It doesn't exist, you know, continuously. And the and the herbs are all, you know, there's high high frequency traders are all over that relationship. It's a, a it's an obvious one, but there's sudden moves, and you can take advantage of those sudden moves. It's always when you know price discovery is happening. Right now, you know, you've kind of got you know the market's kind of not in a crazy market, but all of a sudden, spy starts tanking, TLT starts moving. You got to look to those banks, and sometimes you can have a couple of minutes. Sometimes there are a couple of minutes to respond. It's usually just you know. 10 to 15, 20 seconds. But if you're quick, there's big money to make, you know, trading that relationship. All right. Uh, 8.30 here. We're going to have Tim Quast join the show in about five minutes. Let's Excellent. Let's just talk uh, Lordstown for a second here, right? Uh, some great reporting here from the Wall Street Journal highlighting uh, a number of very interestingly timed insider sales. Okay. Uh, five top executives Back in February, uh, including the president and the former CFO, sold more than $8 million worth of ride in a three-day span in February. Um, I I assumed, I thought that every company had uh, like a blackout slash quiet period around their earnings reports like in the two, not. two weeks before two weeks after so in the, in the article they said that deloitte did a survey in 2020 and found that 98 percent of companies do have a blackout period i guess lordstown is in the two percent that didn't <laughs> that surprise anyone okay so let's go through it all again all right we don't know if we have enough cash to even get started that's one. Our, Good CEO, news. Our, our CEO and CFO called to quits. Good news. We all sell before the crappy earnings report. That's absolutely acceptable. <laughs> but the most forgiving market in the history of forgiving markets is what we are in here right ding, now. Ding, ding, and ding, ding, Lordstown yeah. Motors continues to be forgiven. I will tell you from a technical basis, 10 bucks is critical <laughs> here. You got a little company handle going, though. And you know what? This is the kind of stock just like has everything going bad. People say, well, it can't get worse. So we'll buy it. So I'm being a little bit sarcastic. But at the same time, I'm not shorting this thing. It doesn't go down on the bad news. I mean, yeah, it went down a bit. But in a real normal environment, this thing would probably be out of buck right now. But it's not. And this isn't a normal environment. This is an environment where AMC is a $30 billion market cap. So Ryan can do whatever the hell it wants. It doesn't want to go down on bad news. Tells me I should not be short it. I cannot bring myself to go long it because I don't even know if this is a viable company because the company told me that they didn't know if they were going to be, you know, uh, what what's the words they use? Spencer um, Israel? It, it was a go, going concern notice. Yeah, the uh, going concern yeah. notice, which is the fourth thing that, you know, this thing. But you know what? Market continues to forgive. I finally figured this stock out. Oh, please enlighten <laughs> me because I have no idea about this Do stock. Do you know why this stock isn't at zero? Is not at zero? No. Yeah. Um, it's called Divine Intervention. Oh. Okay. Lordstown Motors. 
There is some great force out there looking after it, looking after this stock. That's the only. You've hated this company from the beginning because they're in Ohio. Okay, (laughs) Joel's hated these guys from day one. He hates all Ohio companies. Um, Interesting. Ohio companies, the state of Ohio. Everyone in Ohio. No, that's not true. I have relatives in Ohio. Wait. So, one of uh, in in the article, one of the executives at Lordstown sold ninety nine percent of his vested equity on February second. February second. Let's go to the chart. Well, he kept some skin in the game, Spencer. (laughs) He was left with seven hundred and seventeen shares afterwards. Let's see. Uh, February second. Yep. I don't know when the market becomes back to reality on all this stuff. And it may never. Maybe we're just entering this new world where nothing matters anymore. But I don't know. Fundamentals at one time did matter. They obviously don't to a lot of companies now. And it appears that's maybe the case with Ride as well. I don't know if they end up going out of business if you know if the stock goes to zero because when we see Hertz, you know, obviously goes bankrupt and the stock still continues to find bids in the over-the-counter market. So uh, it, it's a very tough market for bears for a long time. That's why, you know, it's hard to be bearish on the show, even though everything in my power wants me to be bearish. And I think Tim's going to come on right now and tell me to be bearish. I want to be bearish, but the market just doesn't seem to allow it. So let's see what happens when Tim comes on here right now. Are we bringing him on right now? Is it 8.35? I want to bring him on. Yeah. Tim Quast joins us every Monday from Market Structure Mondays. Here he is. Tim, how are we doing? Good morning. Good morning. Happy summer solstice. You know, we, we, uh, it, uh, it, 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 it dovetailed. I'm not sure what it means that the, uh, <laughs> the high point of the summer coincided with Father's Day, oh. uh, but it did. The, the days, you know, when you're my age, it makes you a little melancholy because I also have peaked, uh, much, <laughs> much like, uh, the summer has because now the days will begin to get shorter. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, maybe, maybe it's a good segue, Dennis, to your comment about being bearish. If the days are getting shorter, uh, there's there's less and less opportunity to be bearish. I don't know. You know, we'll, we can talk about. I heard you talking about you, Lordstown Motors, and uh, we we can certainly kick that around. Uh, I caught just the tail end. I I agree with you that the there's an absence of rational thought, and things that you think you should avoid may not be. The, you know, may may. may behave differently than expected we have a strange market don't we we do have a strange market it's a difficult (laughs) market if you're a fundamental investor like putting your cfa hat on here and trying to crunch your numbers and come up you know with your valuation and you're looking at amc a 30 billion dollar market cap and you're scratching your head i'm trying to come up with numbers to value this but i can't figure it out and there maybe there's certain areas in the market that are still trading on fundamentals but there's a lot that's not and i think crypto is a big part of this i mean it was it's very difficult to you know a lot of these cryptocurrencies just create a value and wealth from nothing so i mean it's the kind of market that doesn't really care that much about fundamentals here right when do we reconnect do we ever reconnect i don't know dennis i think (laughs) under the (laughs) dennis man throwing a guy under the bus here like the guru here though he's good man this tim cost is good so if anybody knows the answer of when we're going to reconnect the fundamentals it's going to be tim well what well, then I feel some pressure. Wow. <laughs> that is easy on the guy. We got him to renew his contract. I mean, come on, easy on him. You could have said that same thing, Dennis, like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, in 1995. You go, oh, it's disconnected from money. So, 
Yeah, well, we right. did reconnect with Fundamentals multiple times over those years. I think Tim would agree. agree. I think we reconnected with Fundamentals very well in 2002 and 2003 after right. the internet bubble pop. And I think we right. reconnected with Fundamentals after the financial crisis as well. Bear, bear markets tend to uh, reconnect us with Fundamentals. We just haven't had one for a long time. So nobody's scared of the bear. What do you mean? We just had one last year. COVID. It was, it was a pretty quick one, though. <laughs> it was a three-week three week bear market. Uh, yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right, and it's the the uh, <clears throat> the role that bear markets or resets between the the uh, uh, the tension, the dialectic of f- human fear and greed, is a necessary part of the puzzle. It's it's necessary for for uh, the proper functioning of business, for the rules of economics to work, for uh, economic systems to be resilient and durable, that is necessary. What, you know, there's no question that part of the problem, and we're not going to you know, wander too far afield into the discussion of monetary policy, but because the, the, the Federal Reserve prevents failure, that we've come to the place in, the, in, in modern markets where we don't accept failure and that we will do anything, including do the exact opposite of what the history of central banking is, uh, which is that you would, you would take good collateral and charge high interest rates and constrain what you uh, lend to by the the uh, the limit of underlying currency. We now do the opposite of that. We take bad collateral, we charge low <laughs> interest rates, and we provide infinite amounts of money. So that then because it's a great touch point to how the the stock market works. And what really matters here is how do we navigate this successfully as traders? And will there be a reset? To your point, Dennis, in in two, but by the time we got through the internet bubble, the Nasdaq lost eighty three percent of its value. It's important to understand that the 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 greater capacity you give to the market to have tensility, stretchiness, uh, the the more it will snap back on you when reality returns. And the great question is, when will that happen? And uh, it, it, is it upon us? I, I, could, I can make one data set case that it is. And I'm not, I'm not and again, I'm, I'm not saying here on, on Benzinga pre-market prep that uh, it's, the market is about to fall apart. I do think it's important to tell people uh, last week on you know, Monday, June 14th, I sat here and told people that the market could have real trouble into June expirations, that the data were telling us that market sentiment is topped. Uh, We're not seeing the sort of influx of passive investment that should happen if the S&P 500 and the Russell indices are rebalancing. We saw a a retreat in risk management, even with quad witching. Well, all of those things tell us that the market is likely to behave poorly. Now, the question is, what happens today with new options trading? That's the question. And you look at the futures and you would say, oh, everybody's coming back into the market. Well, I'm not, I don't buy that. I think if you're counterparties and you've gotten yourself into trouble taking the other side of trades that you have to square by tomorrow, that you want people to take your bait, you would like to offload that stuff onto somebody else. And then tomorrow, you hope that your hedges will protect you. Again, I'm not saying that the market is about to fall apart. There is one data point that we follow, and one data point is not a pattern. Uh, there is a pattern in that data. It's not the core thing we look at. But if we look at the standard deviation, and we've talked before about this, between 
the prices of stocks and the prices of ETFs. In the last three weeks, the spreads between those are almost 300% higher than they were when the market fell apart in March 2020. Now, maybe that means nothing. I'm not saying it's Why does that happen? It, it happens because market makers don't know how to price exchange-traded funds. Remember, exchange-traded funds, which are $6.5 trillion of assets in here in the U.S. markets alone, there are over 2,000 of them, that those <clears throat> instruments depend on something else for prices, very much like currencies. You know, we talk about Bitcoin. Well, you know, Bitcoin has a finite supply. U.S. dollars do not. And what is the difference between a U.S. dollar and Bitcoin? That. Not much else. Neither one has any intrinsic value. And the dollar floats in relative value to other things. We value it versus other currencies. And ETFs are valued versus the underlying assets called stocks. And so when those things behave in unexpected ways, such as industrials, materials, financials, and energy going up 70%, uh, and then they stop going up and everybody says, oh, that's the end of the reopen trade. Those things are very difficult for folks who are trading ETFs to sort out. The only group that performed reasonably well last week was tech. And why would tech perform well? Because everybody was underweighted. It's not, this stuff is not that complicated, but it's very important, traders. This all leads back to why market structure matters. This is called Market Structure Monday for a reason, because we don't talk about fundamental drivers. There is no fundamental driver in Lordstown Motors. That's not the thing, but there is market structure and it's mathematically measurable. We talked about Lennar last week and I said Lennar is likely to perform well. Why? Well, you know, its fundamentals are good, but that's not the reason. The reason is all the money was out and it would have to come back into the end of the week because options ex expire and passive money has to rebalance and people are going to bet it up, went up 10%. That stuff is predictable. It's not because it has any rational basis. I don't think the dollar has any rational basis, but these are all things that we use. And if we don't understand underlying human fear and greed and how they manifest in supply and demand, we will get into trouble. And we don't want to be in trouble, do we, traders? So I'm going to, sh I'm, and now ask me a question, but I'm going to share my screen because I want to back that up uh, yeah. a bit with, uh, with some actual data uh, okay Tim, so Tim, there's yes i, I gotta say uh you, you for someone but you, you seem like you 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 hate etfs or what they do to the market i it's not that i it's not that i hate etfs i think they're a genius instrument i wish i'd invented them i mean it's a brilliant <laughs> idea right so sells you get to take everybody's collateral commission free and tax free and then do whatever you want with it, and you sell people ETF shares that they trade and believe that they're, they're, they've got mutual funds that trade like stocks. There is no such thing. If you buy ETF shares, there is no custodial account at BlackRock. So there, is, there are no fiduciary assets, people. You need to understand that. If somebody is not managing your money, they have no fiduciary responsibility to you. If I give my money to a money manager, they have a fiduciary responsibility to put my interests first. If I buy a mutual fund, I have a legal proportionate claim on the underlying pool of assets. If I buy and sell ETF shares, I own derivatives. 
So I'm fine with derivatives. Derivatives are a very useful instrument for about 15% of market cap. Well, if those things become the principal investment vehicle, you have a problem in your capital markets. Though capital markets should not be predicated on derivatives. And yet that's what we have. Almost 20% of market cap depends on options and futures. How much of the market depends on ETFs? Well, we track that data. We track how often ETFs are the principal pricing mechanism of the market. And it's almost 85% of the time. So if 85% of the time your market depends on something that has no intrinsic value and depends for its prices on something else, you should take a long step back, SEC and regulators, and look what you are doing to people. Because if we do hit a nexus, these things are going to be a disaster for all the people who are depending on them for their retirement assets. So that's it, Spencer. It's not that I hate them. I think that they could be part of your portfolio. Uh, but they should not be the principal way that people are advising people to have exposure, that, that advisors ex- are advising people to have exposure to the equity market. We have That's precedents too. Go back to yeah. August mm-hmm. of 2015 when we had the ETF collapse. Yes. Remember the day the flash crash of 2015 was ETF based. And you know, I was trading ETFs and you could see it. And there was like, like it, it got ugly. And that was definitely ETF based in the past. I mean, ETFs are the driver. You're absolutely right. I mean, I do it too. You know, Bright Trading sure. has a pile of traders that are arbing the ETFs against, you know, the individual stocks. I mean, it's a, and then you can arb the ETFs against the ETFs. I mean, everybody's just leaning on everything else. There's like <laughs> one thing and there's a million ETFs leaning on that one thing. And that one thing moves and all these million ETFs all of a sudden like, whoop, pull the bids. So it's, it's, you know, it works 99.9% of the time, but August, 2015, we found out it doesn't, it didn't work for uh, at least a few minutes that day. No, it's a very good point. And that's a great way to, to couch it. It's not that it doesn't work most of the time. Uh, one could say the same uh, about a bridge over a river. Well, most of the time it works, but if you're not paying <laughs> attention to the condition of the, the bridge, the one time that it doesn't could be a disaster for you. That's, that's the, the point. And it, it got, it, here's another great thing to think about. When you think about the, uh, the credit default swaps that, that benefited folks like Michael Burry, you know, Cyan Capital, the, the, the principal character in The Big Short, the book by Michael Lewis and the movie. And what he saw uh, was that all of these people were piling into things and you look at the underlying uh, uh, asset class and it didn't support them. Well, the same thing, you know, you have to look the same way at the market here. I'm, I'm highlighting information technology. There's the tech sector with about 430 components and here's broad market sentiment. So traders, you can do this. Go to market structure. I'm going, I'm at at marketstructureedge.com because it's the quick way to get to the the database. Uh, And you can sign, you can register, just put your name and email in and you can follow along. This is a core part of what we look at. The market most times reverts to five. So it's just a 10 point scale of supply and demand. Stuff's above five tends to do better. Below five tends to do worse. Look at industrials. They're reverting to five and falling. Well, it was already predictable. Now people are saying, well, the reopen trade is over because industrials are falling. No, they peak back here. So that's when you leave. It's, there's, it's not complicated. Then look at, look at tech. 
Short volume is rising. That's excess artificial supply. And sentiment is peaked and beginning to fall. Will tech carry the market? Well, it's the engine. So if it doesn't do better than this, the market could be in trouble. Again, I'm not saying that it is. But we look at broad market sentiment, so the whole measure of supply and demand for the S&P 500 in broad market sentiment is 5.1. Right? So it peaked back here. That doesn't mean that the market's going to go down right there. It's predictive. So when you get here and the market continues to go up and you say, oh, well, I'm, I missed it. No, you didn't. It gives you a warning. And so what's it doing now? Well, it's still falling. So if, if the market is up uh, 200 points pre-market or the, the, uh, the Dow futures, would I buy that? Well, of course not. Look at it. I look at that and say, well, there's, there's no indication to me that that's a bottom yet. I want a bottom where it stops falling so I know that supply uh, and demand are equalizing and demand's going to increase and stocks are going to rise. Well, that is, that's the way that the market works. In fact, it's the way all markets work. Take out the Fed, take out all the talk about the reopen trade or the work from home trade or EV or clean energy or cloud computing and just look at supply and demand. What's supply and demand? Well, I'll tell you, demand has been not very good since April. The whole sentiment trend is down. So I'll tell you that I think <clears throat> if we're going to have trouble in the market, it is nearly upon us. If we're going to repeat a correction, this is when it will happen. I'm not saying it's going to. I'm not saying it's going to. I just say that if we get out of June, if we drive across the bridge and it doesn't collapse, we'll be okay. But this is the point where it could happen. Tim, what about these inverse ETFs? Right, do you, was, even, do you was, even deal with them? Do you, uh, I mean, absolutely. Uh, and, yeah, and, someone and, in the chat asked that. Yeah, okay. maybe Tim. Next week, we we go in depth on the inverse ETF. And, well, and I'll only mention this: inverse yeah. ETFs have have uh, not 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 only are ETFs not asset backed because the assets belong to. So BlackRock says to Morgan Stanley, "You can sell IVV shares, S and P five hundred shares from BlackRock." All that they're selling is BlackRock's name. It's, it's, a, it's a tracking stuff. So inverse ETFs, and we've got a couple of young guns on the team who love to trade them. They're, you know, I'm old. I can't take those kind of risks. Uh, they like to do that. But they're, they're a derivative predicated on leverage derivatives. That's a very high-risk endeavor. Sure, you can trade them. But you have to realize that if the market runs into trouble, uh, then those are the things that will be harmed the most. And here's the, here's the thing with derivatives. Derivatives are predicated on an outcome in the future that you try to project. And so when prices become uncertain, the ability to do that becomes uncertain. And so supply and demand in the future become uncertain. And if I'm a bank that is, that is making a market in those things, my ability to forecast my own risk rises. So I will charge more for that. So and the, what matters isn't you and I buying and selling options and futures. What matters are the huge institutional investors like BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street that use those as substitutes to true up their tracking. Indexes want to be less than 2% in variance with an index. Well, the market is moving more than that. Every stock moves more than that every day on average. And so that then makes my cost of truing up my tracking more expensive. 
and it makes me less willing to take risk. And then that feeds all the way through the food chain of, of investment advisors, you know, the double line capitals of the world. They're all looking at that stuff and they say, hmm, that's uncertain. I'm not going to put as much money to work. Well, all those little ripples show up and then all of a sudden the amount of market cap tied to derivatives shrinks and the market drops 15 percent. And we think, what the hell happened? That's what's going on. And it's why this is so important today. Monday, today, new options are trading. Tomorrow is Counterparty Tuesday. That's when the banks will true up their books on what happened last week and against the demand that arises today. Well, if the market is up and it's false demand, tomorrow or Wednesday could be terrible days. I'm not, again, I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying I look at that data and say to myself, self, we are staying out of that. And we said this last week, I was fully in cash by Wednesday-ish, Thursday. So, you know, I took my profits in Lennar. I was already out of my positions and I'm sitting right where I want to be because this tells me, this tells me wait until that thing bottoms and it hasn't. Are you still fully in cash right now? Yes. Like all your portfolios? Like everything? my trading portfolio. Oh, you know, know, I have to have outside taxes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but my trading account, I'm sitting in cash because if the market goes down and I, you know, I'm at just about an all time record high in my, in my, in my uh, trading account. Well, that's where I want to be. Right. So that I, I will wait for things that look good. Let's look at the Benzinga June 21 portfolio. This is stuff we want to talk about. I didn't put much in here that I like, but here's Lordstown. And we'll, you know, I know we need to wrap up, but here's Lordstown. So to your point, Dennis, if you, if you looked at it from a trading standpoint, there are good and bad things. It's not very liquid. It trades only about $2,300 a trade. So that will tell you it be it, since the since the average the average in the S and P five hundred is almost twenty thousand dollars a trade. That's skewed because of the ones on the high end. About twenty stocks skew the whole S and P five hundred. Uh, there's the possibility that Lordstown Motors is ten times as volatile as the S and P five hundred, but it's bottomed. It's only forty two percent short, and it's one out of ten. I mean, it, from a trading standpoint, I'd go hmm. I might even look at that because when it, it bottoms, wasn't right? so it bad, wasn't it has to be motors, good. Be like, oh, it's so you. bad. It's right? got to be good. Terrible, right? It's exactly because it happened last time. You know, if you bought this at one, you'd have made money. Crazy. And it's it's coming back to one. I'm not, don't, don't, you know, don't say cost. You told me to trade Lordstown. <laughs> I'm not telling you that. Okay. Not I'm just advice. saying that uh, it's it, market structure rules. It, it's still, you know, it does. Uh, and and uh, that's the nature of the beast. All right. Tim Quast is cited as Market Structure Edge. That's what's up on the screen. The link is up on the screen at the bottom, marketstructureedge.com. Tim, always a pleasure. Next week, let's do a little bit more on the inverse ETFs and the effects that those have on markets and uh, any other scary implications. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you guys. All right, thanks, thanks a lot. Uh, I, I, you know, you guys know I love ETFs, but Tim scares me sometimes. Uh, let's go to <laughs> <laughs> let's. Uh, we got five minutes left here before I'm going to bring on sure. Matt Hammond. Um, uh, don't forget, it is Prime Day, uh, so it's had to run. Yeah, I mean, it's just the question is whether the run's going to continue this far, this fast. I mean. Why not go to 30, 35, 50? That's the all-time high. That's what we'll be looking at. 
can look at it two ways. Go up to 3550, you're at the top of the trading range, sell, 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 sell. Or hey, it's long consolidation, 11 month consolidation. You finally break out and you go to 4000. So, prime day, they're going to be pumping the results today and tomorrow. See what kind of lift you got, but you got a you got a clear bogey and that was yeah. actually on earnings day. And actually on that earnings day, I remember seeing this thing trade at 3650. So thirty-five fifty-four, the all-time high. We're just about ooh, seventy points. Little we. I'm just trying to. Were people taking profits on Friday and Monday? You know, from this run, very big run, very out of the ordinary for Amazon. Um, I saw it goes it, up before Prime Days. Wil Wilkin, that's what we're trying to tell you. Yeah, the yeah. Day, Easy Alpha's been made ahead of the Prime Day. So what happens on the actual day? Sometimes you see some profit taking without a significant run. You're bumping up against resistance here. Let's see what it does around 3,500. We, we talked about this probably every day last week. Uh, and then I saw a chart I'm from Bloomberg. Uh, Thursday was the best day of the year for mega cap tech in terms of just buying, buying activity for mega cap tech, fang stocks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so maybe, and we talked about that. So maybe that comes off this week. Maybe it doesn't. Um, Torchlight, TRCH is your big mover of the day. It's a, uh, it, it, it gets pumped on Discord a lot. They posted an update that they're extending the, the deadline for some merger to the end of the month. But this is a Discord. Go get them. Go get uh, TRCH. So uh, have that on my radar as well. Yeah, I don't touch um, that stuff. What else did I want to hit on here? Uh, that actually was kind of let's do some some. Uh, oh, it's 859. Damn, let's do like one ticker from chat before. I one ticker. One, yeah, one ticker, and I'll do more at nine on a premarketprep.com. We didn't get to do a lot today. What one ticker do you want to do? One more. It's not going to be AMC, guys. Sorry. <laughs> um, let's look at how they want to talk about Wish. I don't want to talk about Wish. I don't want to do that. Yeah. All right, Neo, Neo, fine. You win, Neo. Let's do it. Let's Let do me it. go first, Dennis. Go. Uh, NIO had a nice run. I see Tesla's moving up too. Uh, I got IO on there. NIO, hold the close. Hold the close. Take out 48. I can't say it's ready to roll over yet. I'd be a little bit cautious uh, if you took out the low from yesterday. That's it, guys. We'll we still see got you at 3.30. We still got tech in favor overall and growth tech has still remained in favor even though we had a rough day on friday some of these growth tech names have held up fairly well neo held up very well on friday considering we had a pretty ugly day for but we've been talking about the resilience in tech so tech is holding up can uh, very relatively well compared to a lot of the other markets so i think you just keep an eye if you start seeing tech start to roll over neos will lead the charge because it's obviously betas higher it's been a great run 31 to 46 it's up 50 percent better part yeah. of a month yeah it's been a good run it's i think the next to continue going higher here isn't going to be as easy i think there's room to 50 on neo and then it's going to get in tougher up there because a lot of bag holders from yeah, from all last year so well no from january and january all the way down february yeah it looks like it's wants 50 i wouldn't be surprised if it if it gets 50 but it's a little long in the tooth here wow all right dennis have a good one. We'll see you tomorrow. Uh, let's bring on Matt Hammond now from IPO Warriors. Uh, I, I think I saw it should be a busier week on the IPO front, Matt. I'm not sure if, if that's how, – how does the slate look this week? 
Uh, we've got another full slate. A bunch of IPOs from last week got pushed to this week. So what we already had as a nine IPO lineup is now ballooned into a 12 IPO lineup. Um, last week, we did not see the kind of performance that we generally like in IPOs. I think the market was just a little bit... Um, I think its stomach was a little woozy from the Fed, uh, you know, the Fed announcements midweek and the um, kind of general malaise of June setting in. But uh, there were still some win opportunities. Um, but as you can see, I did both get a haircut and take a little haircut on some of the losses. Um, but that happens. So we don't have too much to review in terms of win opportunities last week, but we've got a lot to review in terms of what's coming up this week, and we hope to turn some things around. So last week's win opportunities were iSpecimen uh, and Verve Therapeutics. There were a couple other sort of very weird win opportunities, but they involve playing off the drop, which is not generally how I like to play, um, or catching a very momentary spike off the beginning. So I'm just going to skip those mostly just to get to what we have coming up. Um, I specimen we put on on uh, watch because it was such a low float, uh, just 2 million shares. That's almost unheard of for a, you know, for a big board listing. And I think the minimum is a million shares. So to come to market with just 2 million shares, I don't think I've ever seen that before. And we got kind of what we expected, although it priced at $8 and didn't open uh, it opened at a very low uh, price of 627. So it kind of showed you that all it really could do was go up. Um, it's 627 at a pricing of $8 with 2 million shares. You're not going to get a lot of people selling their shares who bought it at eight. And that gives you a lot of room to take profits on the way up. Very slow moving, very boring, relatively speaking, but relatively easy to play. So you could take it you know, from here all the way into day two, if you had a high conviction for some reason. But if you did play this, you probably got in at six and got out at around seven saying, okay, well, thanks. Uh, quick little profit and uh, moved on to the next one. The only biotech or of all the plays last week that really gave you a big profit opportunity was Verf Therapeutics. And I generally stay away from biotechs. And given the way that other IPOs were performing up to this point, I didn't touch this one either. Although I wish I had, uh, I had put it on the radar because it's Google's first uh, biotech IPO that it's backed, um, opened at 30 and then ran up to 39.84 on day two. And it's trading up around 40 right now in pre-market. So this is one of those times where you see an IPO that's backed by a big investor like Google. Uh, we see some of the stocks that are backed by WeChat or Salesforce, these tend to do pretty well. Uh, we saw that Monday.com, even though it kind of had an up and down movement on the first day, has since run, and that has backing from Salesforce and you know some other institutional investors or, or big name company investors. So when other kind of luminaries or other uh, big name backers are promoting an IPO or participating, you don't expect them to be selling right away and you do expect them to be buying because they like the company. They want to be a part of it. They want to have their skin in the game. That's a good indication that the stock might run. And we saw this with Verve Therapeutics. So anyway, I'm very happy to put last week behind us because we have a full slate of IPOs this week. And just to run them off, we've got Full Trunk Alliance. We've got Sprinkler, First Advantage, Bright Health Group, Doximity, Confluent, Soulgate, 
Miro Matrix Medical, Unicisive Therapeutics, Mr. Carwash, Acurix Pharmaceuticals, and AMTD Digital. And you'll recognize some of these names from last week. We had Unicisive Therapeutics, Acurix, and AMTD reschedule due to market conditions last week, which basically said means they thought the market was kind of weak and they decided to come back this week when hopefully there'll be more demand for IPO stocks. So Full Truck Alliance, just jumping right in, is considered the Uber for freight. Uh, it's a Chinese-based company and what it does is it connects people who want to ship something directly with truckers who have inventory on their trucks, which is why it's called Full Truck Alliance. Obviously, trucking is a huge business in China. They manufacture just about everything for the whole world and moving products from the factories to the ports or to the shipping destinations, uh, even within China, deliveries within China is a huge business. They have a subscription-based service, which I always like because that locks in customers who then you know, use the service again and again. They did over 22 million orders in uh, Q1 2021. That being said, they are not profitable. They are focused on growth. And there are new services by DD uh, Chuxing. DD is a huge Uber-like operation in China that's actually profitable. We'll see their IPO next month. That one should be huge. Uh, and in this case, despite growing revenue, their net losses are pretty substantial. So with a large float, and this is a huge float of 82 million shares, this makes me a little bit cautious. I haven't seen a lot of IPOs with over, say, 60 or 70 million shares do phenomenally well. They kind of just get, there's just so much, so much liquidity that, you know, there's no, no room for it to go up. It just sort of trades sideways or down. And I will probably watch this and see what it does, given that there are so many other plays that I don't want to get stuck in this one on uh, Tuesday. There are no IPOs generally on Mondays. So this kind of opens up the slate. Don't want to get stuck in this position and miss out on, on something else. So Sprinkler, Sprinkler is an interesting company. They do kind of like, it's a little bit like CRM, but it's more tracking the lifespan of a customer so that you're maximizing your profit opportunities within that customer, you know, with each customer that you have. Uh, they have 50% of the Fortune 100 companies are their customers, which is always a strong sign to me. Uh, they have growing margins, but they're cash flow negative. Although they were cash flow, they were they have posted profitable quarters in the past uh, with a modest float, 19 million shares. This one's interesting. I'll probably play this depending on what I see in terms of the indication price before it debuts. If this doesn't have a massive or a huge overpriced debut, then this looks interesting. If this is you know 50% or more of the IPO price, I'll probably take a pass on it. Uh, first advantage, this is software for human resource management. Uh, they do screening potential employees. That's the kind of their, that's what they specialize in where they get most of their income from. This is for companies who want to screen a bunch of employees, make sure there's nothing wrong with them, uh, identify the key, you know, which employees are the best and they are profitable and cash flow positive. And with a modest float of 21.3 million shares, that's been sort of the magic formula we've seen recently. Tech company, software as a service, profitable and cash flow positive. These IPOs seem to have done better than some of the others where last year we saw companies with just high growth numbers. Nobody cared if they were profitable. This year, these IPOs where they're profitable and cash flow positive have been winners. So I'll probably be playing this one on the 23rd. 
Bright Health Group. This is, we've seen a whole bunch of healthcare management platforms and none of them have done particularly well on their IPO debuts. They've mostly either traded flat, given slight, you know, upward movement, slight downward movement, just not a lot of excitement in these. And with 60 million shares, that's a very large float. Last week, we had a similar one with CNBY. uh, And I just feel that there's other plays that will be stronger this week. doesn't mean it's good or bad. I just think it's, you know, maybe a safe long-term investment, but that's not what I'm looking for with IPO plays. I'm looking for something that has immediate demand. It's going to send this up two or $3 or more where I can get in with a big position at the beginning and exit as soon as I see peaks. Okay. Doximity. This is an interesting platform. That's a digital collaboration platform for doctors. It allows them to share medical records securely and safely information, get uh, kind of other ideas from other doctors, share charts and say, Hey, does anybody you know have any ideas what's going on with this patient? And they've had, rapid growth, and they're profitable with a modest float. So these are kind of, like I said, these are the things that have been performing well. I think you also see a lot of doctors who have money uh, read about this overnight, say, oh, hey, I use this platform. I should go buy the the IPO. So I like this for a two-day hold. I probably won't do a huge play. I'm not too familiar with the platform. I'll do a little bit more research on it today and include that in the newsletter. I send a newsletter out every Monday now. If you sign up at ipowarriors.com, you'll get the newsletter in a few hours with further details on these and a little bit more on the strategy for trading them. But I like this because the media cycle, we've talked about this before, uh, stock does an IPO the next day or overnight, people read about, oh, you know, Doximity spikes 25% in IPO. Usually they're talking about the IPO price to the debut price, uh, which is a little bit misleading. Point is, though, a bunch of doctors and medical professionals are going to read about that overnight, say, hey, I use this platform. It's really good. And they're going to go in and buy it the next day. We've seen that a lot with these sort of brand name uh, IPOs where retail buyers who are familiar with it uh, realize that it debuted. We saw it recently with Oatly, which did kind of like not so great on the first day, but then in the last week has done quite well as people start reading that, hey, it's it's a publicly traded company. Now they go, Oh, I drink that stuff. It's in all the supermarkets. It's in Starbucks. They're going to be huge. Even though it's overpriced retail piles in and we see the price of the stock go up. Okay. Confluent is a data infrastructure as a service and they allow companies to build applications using real time data streaming, Uh, real time, real time data streaming, is some are kind of like the buzzwords that have been pushing Snowflake and Palantir. And while they're not kind of direct competitors, being in this industry has been kind of sexy. Uh, Then again, they are in the operating losses category. They have uh, growing revenue, they have growing gross profits, and the the float is only 23 million shares. So I do like that. And they also have a revenue retention rate of 117%, which means they're getting more money out of each of the customers they have with over 560 customers that are spending $100,000 know, or more a year. So these are kind of numbers that a year ago, I'd say this is definitely one you want to play. This year, I think it's still strong enough. And given the modest float, I like this one for a play as well. And I generally like tech companies. I like I still think that people understand that data management is a key to the future of business success and Confluent is well positioned to do that. They have a CEO who kind of literally wrote the book on um, on the Apache software base that, that Confluent is monetizing. 
And uh, we've got experts in the industry. We've got a lot of clients that are paying a lot of money and they keep coming back. I think this is a strong story. People have heard of Confluent. They have great ratings and reviews on on websites like Glassdoor. So there's enough ingredients here for me to find this one interesting. Now we've got, this was rescheduled from last week. It's basically just a low float biotech, uh, kidney disease and injuries. Roth Capital has not been very well favored by the market on their IPOs. I'll probably pass on this one. Soulgate, I like this one, Chinese social app. It's a virtual social playground. Uh, it's basically kind of a metaverse type come in, create your avatar, hang out with people, date, play games, uh, exchange content, message with each other. It's backed by Tencent, which is interesting because Tencent owns WeChat, which is the largest uh, kind of do everything chat based app in China. So that they got behind this and that it's seen such huge growth is interesting to me. So anything Chinese tech uh, with a low float, I think it's 13, 13 million shares. That's really pretty low for something that has had revenue growth of 644% in 2020 versus 2019. Gross profit up 544% in 2020. Those are huge numbers despite a pretty massive operating loss and factoring in that this was kind of a became very trendy and we had Corona at the right time with coronavirus lockdowns. Uh, this will get a lot of attention in the Chinese market. And for me, this is the kind of IPO that I just, you know, salivate over for an opportunity to play it. So I like Soulgate. Uh, Miro Matrix Medical. This is a very early stage biotech. Uh, phase one is not until late 2022 on their, you know, leading candidate. But it is an interesting area. They're bioengineering fully transplantable human organs, starting with the livers and kidneys. And if you can imagine if you could bioengineer a complete liver or a complete kidney that could be then transplanted into humans, you know, you're talking about something that is revolutionary in the medical world. Basically the stuff of science fiction, you know, building building organs and labs that you can then put into people uh, with, you know, being able to control all of the uh, compatibility issues that people have, you'd eliminate the need for organ, or, organ donor lists. Uh, I mean, the potential for this is huge. And with a low float of 4 million shares, if this gets kind of a little bit more publicity, nobody's talking about it right now on Twitter or any of the social networks, but if this starts getting talked about and people start, uh, you know, pointing this out, uh, with the low float, this could do pretty well. So I'll be keeping an eye on this and depending on what kind of social traction we get before it goes live, may or may not play this. Like I said, it sounds interesting, but in terms of a real investment vehicle, it probably, you know, you're looking at a lot of dilution and a lot of time before this makes any serious um, advances in terms of catalysts that would push the price up on, you know, in a more natural organic uh, means. Mr. Car Wash, this is another one of those brand name IPOs. A lot of people have heard of Mr. Car Wash because it is the largest national brand of car washes in the country. They have 344 locations in 21 states. They have a subscription-based car wash service with 1.4 million subscribers. They are very profitable and they have solid cash flow. Uh, so despite the large float, 37 million shares is kind of, you know, 30 to 40, I consider a standard uh, offering. It's still brand, you know, it's got enough brand recognition. It's got enough, 
you know, to go on a media cycle where maybe it doesn't get a huge first day pop, but I think it, if you hold this for a couple of days, you're going to see continuous uh, growth on this. And it's towards the end of the week anyway. So if I'm out of my other positions, I'll probably take a play on Mr. Car Wash. I just, I like profitable. I like solid cash flow. I like brand name recognition. So even though the float is a little bit high, I think this one's worth a play. Accurix Pharmaceuticals. We talked about this last week. It's interesting for a number of reasons. First of all, the story is, okay, well, antibiotics are becoming less and less effective because the pathogens and infections that they uh, cure have gotten kind of tolerant to these antibiotics. Well, this is a new class of antibiotics that sort of starts from a clean slate and therefore is more effective, arguably, than uh, kind of the old school antibiotics. They've been labeled as kind of a priority by the WHO and FDA. So they have fast track designation for some of their early stage candidates. Uh, they have a pretty wide range of candidates. Um, but when I look deep, more deeply into the company, they only have three employees, although they have a fairly large and you know, respectable board of directors and advisors, including professors at Harvard, professors at UCLA, and does make me kind of go, hmm. And then the underwriter is Network One Financial, who has done some of these stealth IPOs that we've talked about. And they've kept the low, the float super low. I mean, 2.5 million shares. That's about as low, like I said, 2 million is the lowest I've ever seen. 2.5 to three, you're talking about a super low float. So if this does catch any kind of interest uh, or, or hype on the social media, these have popped into multiple halts and those are pretty easy plays. You just buy in on the open, start selling out after the first halt and, you know, don't, don't be, don't try to be a hero and hold uh, longer than that because these will fall pretty quickly too. And having said that being rescheduled from last week actually might bring more attention to this because people who were talking about it last week and people were talking about it uh, will now be bringing more people on and you don't need a lot of buyers to send a low float IPO, you know, to, 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 to ridiculous numbers and network one financial has been doing something funky in some of these where they hold, or I don't know exactly what's going on, but we've seen stocks that are priced at $5 a share debut at 26. And uh, we've seen some that debuted at, you know, were priced at $5 debut at 13 or 14 and run up to 25 before crashing back down. So, I like playing these, but you want to keep your downside protected. You don't want to be a hero. Like I said, don't, you know, fantasize about holding into nine halts, even though we see that sometimes. We saw that with UTME, which crashed all the way back down last week. And, um, you know, get in, get out, take your money, say thank you and move on to the next play. And another one, AMTD Digital. This was also rescheduled from last week. I like this one. It's Asian Digital Banking Services. They have a very... Uh, strong license for digital banking in Hong Kong. Uh, they seem to have a knack for picking up these limited digital licenses in Asia and the low float of just 16 million shares uh, with an Asian stock with a Chinese angle on it, uh, rescheduled. I, I, I like this one. A lot, a lot of people applied for IPO allocation on Webull. So I'll be able to tap into them and say, hey, did you guys get allocations if they get kind of if they get a good allocation, that's usually a bad sign. Now you have a lot of retail tra traders who will dump if it debuts at a premium. If it does, if people don't get big allocations, that's a good sign that the demand is pretty high and there's not 
not a lot of shares for people to dump right away. But this is a strong company. AMTD itself as a, as a bank is very well established and profitable. This is the digital banking arm. And I believe that there will be uh, pretty high demand for this one, enough to make it worth playing. And by that point, it's, it'll be the end of the week and I'll be pretty exhausted. So um, we've got a full slate. I'm going to do some more research on these today, send out my newsletter. And really, we've seen a little bit of a shift in the last month. We talked about this before as well, that IPO craze from a year ago. We're not seeing just the, oh, just buy everything and it'll go up. Uh, we're definitely seeing the need to be a little bit more selective. We have, you know, we have to react a little bit more to what is the market's sentiment that day. We need to react a little bit more to well, where is this debut, you know, price in relation to the IPO price. If it's, you know, too far up now, we need to really think about that downside risk. If it's kind of even, we have to think about, well, is there really demand? And if it's below, it's almost a good thing at this point because you figure the people who bought in at the IPO price aren't going to sell for an immediate loss. They're going to at least try to wait a little bit and see if it comes up. So I'm having to be a little bit more reactionary on the entry, whereas before I was almost exclusively buying in at the limit price. I've had some good luck or good, uh, good wins by waiting a little bit and seeing if I can first watch it dip then buy in these do have a tendency to come back at the end of the day or to you know to gravitate back to up towards vwap if you do get um if you do get underneath that so having to react a little bit more we're live trading these on reddit and kind of getting some ideas that we have different people in different industries who are kind of you know doctors uh, for example can come in and say hey i'm a doctor i've never used this i've never heard of this or i've heard really bad things about this or they can come in and say oh yeah doximity that's great uh, I, I use it and we're, we're, we're increasing our usage of it. Uh, so we're getting different insights. We're getting different ideas about where to enter. We're getting different information on who's getting allocations. We have a few very wealthy people in that group who you know are able to get IPO uh, allocations even for the big names. And they're saying, oh, I only got like five shares. You know? And then, you're, then you understand demand for this is probably really high. Let's play it. Or if people come in and say, oh, I got a full allocation you know, that's a big red flag for me because you know, for popular IPOs, you don't want a re bunch of retail buyers owning it with you because they're going to sell right away. And it also means that the institutions weren't interested in it or the float was too high. And there's a lot of reasons why getting a big allocation of an IPO is almost a bad thing. Um, it reminds me of the Gaucho Marx quote uh, that's something like, I wouldn't want to be a part of a, any club that would want me as a member. And that goes, you know, very... Uh, directly to IPO trading, which is if an IPO is willing to give me an allocation, that's probably not a good indication that demand is super high because that means that uh, institutional investors already passed, high net worth individual investors already passed, and what was left were the scraps at the end of the table. And you don't really want to be eating too many scraps at the end of the table. Anyway, Spencer, that's what I got for this week. Uh, do you guys have any questions or busy uh, week. feedback on this? Yeah. Busy week. Uh, I guess my my only question or point would be with, I think it was the, the freight company when you, you mentioned the larger than average float. Um, I guess mm -hmm. for, for your purposes in making a quick scalp trade, um, a larger float uh, it makes it harder. But for But overall, would, wouldn't you say that a larger float 
is better and gives you more confidence that this is not going to be just a pump and dump or whatever? Maybe more confidence in the company. If I was taking, you know, for a long-term investment, maybe this is interesting for what happens the moment that the stock starts trading. Yeah. It's kind of like I liked, and, and I, one of the first IPOs that I tried to play was Uber, which didn't do very well. Yeah. And part yeah. of the reason was the float was like a hundred million shares. Yeah. And that was one of my first lessons as I started you know, doing this was understanding that, you know, we had lemonade came, I think it's float was like 9 million shares on the IPO or something. And it did incredibly well. Uh, whereas Uber, which was just a few months before that, maybe a little bit more than that, maybe six months before that, but Uber came to market and just, it couldn't go anywhere because there were so many shares. And when you have that many shares coming to market um, there's just, you know, it's always a, supply and demand and it's we're talking with an ipo we're talking about the first day of you know right. of trading right so you've right. got that many shares every it means that you know you have to have so many buyers to push the price up yeah and you know that so that's why i i and i, and I just feel that intuitively my experience has been that the higher the float the less opportunity yeah. there has been fair enough growth. All right, Matt Hammond runs IPO Warriors. There is the link up to his site up on the screen. He joins our show every Monday at 9 o'clock to run through the previous week and the upcoming week in IPO land. Uh, again, there is his link. It's also in the, in the description of the video. Matt, thanks a lot, man. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Spencer. Good luck in your trading. Good luck, everybody. All right, it is 927. We are three minutes away from the open. David Green is live trading right now. Uh, before I leave, though, I want to remember to tell you that the next Benzinga Boot Camp is this coming Saturday. I'm putting the link in chat right now. There it is. Check it out. All-day event. Uh, virtual, obviously, uh, education, trading, charts, setups, the whole thing. Uh, there's the link in chat, events.benzinga.com. Uh, please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. Thanks to our guests, both Matt and Tim Quas. Thanks to all of you for watching. Please hit that like button. You can also catch this show as a podcast. We're on all the major podcast platforms. Everyone have a good rest of your day. Good luck at the open. David Green live trading right about now this video will redirect straight to david green so you don't have to actually do anything you just got to uh stay tuned and watch david green do his thing at the open everyone good luck today for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.